happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be free from harm. May all beings love life. May all beings awaken. Welcome to another Cuke Audio podcast. I'm DC, Puba of Cuke Audio and Cuke Archives, doing our bit to preserve the legacy of Shunju Suzuki and those whose paths cross his, and anything else that comes to mind. I pray that you and yours are safe and comfortable, free from economic hardship, and able to get out and do whatever it is you want within the limitations of the universal precept of do as little harm as possible. So today we have a guest, Dwight Brown. Dwight came uh, into the vicinity of uh, Sokoji, where the San Francisco Zen Center was, mm, back in the early 60s, maybe 63, uh, 64, around there. And, um, you know, he he practiced there, and uh, uh, he didn't really become a Buddhist, you know, in his mind, but he enjoyed the meditation. Uh, and and he, he enjoyed reading about Zen. And uh, he started sending his brother, Ed Brown, uh, koans, uh, Zen stories uh, that he'd found uh, maybe from uh, Zen flesh, Zen bones. And so uh, Ed and uh, his uh, buddy, uh, Alan Witter, headed out to San Francisco and got an apartment um, yeah, near Sokoji, near Dwight, and um, eventually ended up sitting there too. Dwight came to Tassajara for the first practice period. He wasn't planning on, on staying for the practice period. My strongest memory of him is being there at Tassajara. But... Um, Anyway, he went on to become a, an Episcopalian minister. And then later, oh, around 89, I think, he and his wife, Judy, who he met on a, a Zen Center picnic uh, back in May of 67, right before he came to Tassar for the first time. So they both uh, became Catholics. Uh, then, right now they're living up uh, in uh, in Northern California, I'd say, and uh, they're uh, involved with um, the uh, Abbey of New Clairvaux, or the Abbey of Our Lady of New Clairvaux, the official name. Uh, and going to read to you now. The Abbey of New Clairvaux is a rural Trappist monastery located in Northern California in the small town of Vina in Tehama County. The farmland, once owned by Leland's Stanford, grows prunes, walnuts, and grapes, 
and the monks harvest from the orchards and vineyards to sustain the community. So uh, Dwight and Judy are involved with uh, the uh, Abbey of New Clairvaux. Uh, and um, I, I can't remember if she does this. She's, I know she's involved, but he's a tour guide there. Maybe she is too. Uh, you'll, you know, you'll hear in the podcast. Dwight says, uh, you know, he wasn't really career oriented, but uh, he said he eventually got a master's degree in computer science and taught in a California community college for 20 years. And he's he's got a pension from that. And 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 he was an Episcopal priest for a while, and he's had other employment. Uh, I'm just adding that now because uh, that's from emails, and um, we don't go into that much. He mentioned something about teaching uh, computer science. You'll hear about Dwight's spiritual path in the upcoming podcast, which will begin as soon as we've given him a call, which will happen just as soon as we've had our pause to meditate. So when you hear the bell, if you're of such a mind, hit pause and meditate or whatever for as long as you wish. And when you're ready to come back, hit unpause and we'll be there to hit the bell to end the meditation. We'll give Dwight Clark a call. This is Dwight. Good morning, Dwight. How are you? I'm well. You are um, right on time. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> and I am walking to my room. And, uh, okay, I'm in here. And I will sit down and I'm going to plug the phone into... Computer, so the battery doesn't run down. And can you hear me okay? Oh, yeah, fine. Oh, good. Because I, I have it on speakerphone, so I don't have to keep holding it up. Yeah, I I don't know why, but you would think if it was on speakerphone, there would be like echoey or something, but it sounds really good. I'm glad. Mm. Yeah, I don't have much trouble with, with people's voices. I don't even suggest uh, how they uh, listen and talk. You know? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Edward said uh, he was glad I was talking with you. Oh. Um, I'm, I'm not used to... Um, Podcasts. I, I taught an online class uh, where I sat in front of my computer and uh, talked to uh, about 15 uh, high school students. 
but um, this is my first podcast in my whole life. What was your class about? Oh, it was 12th grade theology um, for uh, Colby Academy Online. Um, we read St. Francis de Sales, um, a couple of Frenchmen whose names I may not be able to remember, uh-huh. and we re- read some papal encyclicals. Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, mm. I hadn't, hadn't done anything in theology since um, I got my degree in 1972. Goodness. Um, but I, my career later was teaching computer programming, um, so I was a little uneasy. And fortunately, St. Francis de Sales, uh, right at the beginning of his book, says the best way to learn something is to teach it. So I thought, oh, good. <laughs> That's um, very interesting. You know, uh, um, th- 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 there's uh, that's something that I have heard and seen in modern educational technique. If you have a student that's having a big problem with uh, certain types of math or something, get them to teach the class. Wow. Even that extreme. Wow. Huh. Yeah, that's very interesting. And and it's interesting because a lot of people hold themselves back feeling they're not qualified. Uh, right. So that's a good thing to remember. Thanks for uh, mentioning that. I was just going to say I um, taught computer science at Chico State uh, from 1982 to 84, and um, one, uh, usually I was teaching classes where I had taken the class. So I, I knew exactly what needed to be um, uh, explained. But one mm. semester, um, the school started and I didn't have any class. And I, I went to the department chairman and I, I, I said, you haven't given me any class. And he said, oh, Dwight. He said, you, um, most people, I give them the course I know they can teach, but you can teach anything. And so he gave me a course that I had not taken, and that whole semester I was one page ahead of the students. It was, um, <laughs> ha. Ha. It was very difficult. <laughs> That's interesting. You taught uh, computer science back in the early 80s. Um uh, can yeah. you just give me an idea of what you taught then? That's before I uh, had any involvement with computers. I didn't even early eighties. Yeah, when did I start? About eighty-seven, and mainly with right. a word processors. Right. Um, they were just right. They were just coming out. Um, when, when I actually, uh, got employed after I finished at, at Chico, I uh, taught in a community college and really I was n- not teaching much, um, programming or anything technical. I was showing people how to use their home computer. Um, in those, in those days it was new for everybody. Um, there were home computers in 82? 
Um, no. Uh, well, you're right. Um, maybe 1990. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ah. So what are you doing uh, these days? I am 20 years retired. Um, Judith wanted us to move to the town uh, of Vina in the Sacramento Valley. Uh, there's a Trappist monastery here, um, and she wanted us to be near it. Um, so we've been here about five years, mm. and uh, that's the uh, the focus of our lives. We go over there morning and evening every day. I'm just back from Vespers. Mm. Um, uh, I had... Um, in fact, uh, that's why I was walking from the kitchen uh, when you called. Um, I just made it home. Um, we, uh, When we first moved here, we thought uh, we would go up to the mountains in the summer. It's really hot here in the Sacramento Valley. Mm. Um, in the summertime, I just stay indoors. Um, Judith goes to the Sacramento River every day and gets in the cold water, but I, I don't do that. It's it's too much trouble. Uh, uh, good for so, uh, Wow. Yeah. Anyway, we thought we would go up to the mountains, and we found we love the monastery, um, and we just stay here all year round. Mm. Uh, summer, summer for me is like winter. I stay indoors, and I go outside when I have to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually easier than winter because old people like to be warm. <laughs> Ah, ah, hmm. Well, I uh, I don't have that problem. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll feel like it's nice and cool, and I'll look at the thermometer outside. I think it must be wrong, but it'll say it's you know it's in the eighties. Uh, uh-huh. Hmm. Well, um, you are a are you a docent at the monastery? Or what That's you- there. I am a, a volunteer docent. Um, it's their fancy name for a tour guide. Yeah. So um, just uh, coming up this next Saturday um, is their most popular event of the year, the Blessing of the Grapes. There will be one or two thousand people um, coming, and we'll be doing um, nonstop uh, church tours. Um, we'll take them in for about ten minutes, and then bring the next group in. So, wow! And what's the name of the monastery? Uh, the official name is the Abbey of Our Lady of New Clairvaux. C-L-A-I-R-V-A-U-X. Um, it's usually just called the Abbey of New Clairvaux. Mm-hmm. Um, when they um, when they opened in 1955, they were going to call it Our Lady of Clairvaux, and uh, Cistercian, uh, that's Trappist headquarters in Europe, said, no, it has to be New Clairvaux, so that's the name. Oh, because there's a uh, 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 Clairvaux in uh, in uh, in France. In France, yeah. Sort I'm not of, sure. It's... Sort of like Camaldoli. 
Right. Isn't that right. Newcomodley? Yes. Yeah. I, I stayed at Newcomodley one night with my uh, wife at the time. Actually, we weren't married yet, uh, Diane Goldschlag. And I think they uh-huh. told me uh, that it was the first time a woman had stayed there. Uh, it was actually against the rules. Is that the place at Big Sur up yeah. on the hill? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Judith has been there more than once. I've never been there. I hear it's beautiful. Yeah, uh, and it has uh, it has a relationship with Tatsara and with the Esalen Indians. Uh, uh, there's um, um, a, uh, you know, some sort of group. Uh, there might be another, maybe Esalen Institute, uh, where they meet like, you know, once or twice a year and... Uh, uh, it, it, you know, it, it's gone through a lot of changes, uh, and uh, I can remember them coming to Tassara when we first—well, like two of them—when we first opened, and then when I was director, uh, two of them came. the The one was called Father Pryor. That just meant he was the he was the prior for for some period that rotated. I think. And uh, right. that was really good. Met with students and um, uh, talked about, uh, you know, their practice, our practice. And um, we had so much in common. It was really neat. Uh, Great. Um, now, I'm. who is Our Lady of Clairvaux? Um it would be the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh-huh. Um, she she has uh, many uh, titles. Um, so our Our Lady of Lourdes, uh, Our Lady of Fatima. It it refers to um, her being associated with a place. I don't think it necessarily means she appeared there, um, but uh, they had a devotion to her. So yeah, it, it's kind of, kind of honorary. Mm-hmm. And and how do you see that? Uh, uh, what does that mean, devotion to Mary? I am learning what devotion to Mary means. It. Um, I I was baptized in 1970, so I've been learning about Christianity for 50 years. Um. And I've never been very comfortable um, with devotion to Mary. Um, she is our mother, um, and my mother died when I was six years old, um, and I, I don't really have uh, a feeling for what it's like to have a mother. But recently I have been um, praying the rosary, which is um, centuries old and which is surprising um, uh, number of people pray. I know Pope John Paul II uh, prayed a daily rosary, and which was surprised me. I, it, it's you'd think he'd have more important things to do, um, but it's <laughs> uh, it's quite grounding. It's uh, it's not very intellectual. It's very repetitive. Yeah. Um, you 
you use the beads so you don't have to count. Um, and I, I take a walk every day and uh, pray a rosary, and it helps. Um, and then I, I went on a five-day silent retreat with Judith and several other friends of ours um, last uh, fall. Um, and we were actually studying uh, the Trinity. Uh, we weren't studying Mary, but Mary was the one who recommended five days. Uh, she told um, somebody that three days was not enough. You need five. Um, so um, in in that way, <laughs> I've mm. been um, doing what she says. Uh, Edward, my brother, um, just uh, sits in her presence. Um, he, I don't know if he's told you, um, he he likes to go to. Um, uh, a, a Marian shrine uh, where there will be a, a statue there and there's a great peace um, and uh, I, I sent him uh, recently I, I wrote I wrote him the uh, the words to the Hail Mary prayer and he said well thank you but I'm just I just like to sit quietly <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 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 Um, yeah, he, I, I don't, I don't have that feeling of of being surrounded by love, but I, I have a feeling of her um, concern for me, mm-hmm. um, and her help. So I have a little statue of Mary in my room. It's actually about two and a half feet tall. Um, I, I wish I could show you. Um, well, you can, uh, so to speak. Um, you've got a page on com, and you can send me a picture. I'll put it there, and um, uh, I can mention a few words you just said, you know. Okay. So that's, that's devotion to Mary. Um, it means um, spending some time with her uh, one way or another, um for me it's a, a daily priority um it's something i do each day mm-hmm. uh, and then also i do my physical therapy exercises which aren't religious at all but they <laughs> they keep me from getting stiff and sore so oh yeah no they're that's very very important what do you do um it's a set that um a very gifted um massage therapist taught me uh, he used to live near here and he's moved to Hawaii and I miss him uh, but I do the exercises mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he he was certified in 18 different kinds of massage uh, but the one he actually did um, didn't have any certification his teacher had learned it from a blind man in Hong Kong in 1900 so um, <laughs> wow! Um, wow! It was. It helped me a lot. Hmm. So. Hmm. Well, um, you've had a very uh, interesting uh, spiritual path. Um, Thank you. And uh, yeah, and admirable. And um, uh, uh, you, you, you know, uh, where where do you see it starting? 
my spiritual path? Yeah. Uh, with my father, um, he uh, and my mother uh, took Edward and me to church. Um, it, it was, um, uh, they were very clear that it was not exactly Christian. It was uh, the Unitarian Church in San Francisco. It's a historic building. It's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's at Franklin and Geary Streets. Um, oh, yeah. They, they renovated. They renovated it, um, so it's now earthquake-safe and uh, restored. Um, but Unitarian means it's not Trinitarian. They, the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God in three persons, which is um, a great puzzle, basically. Um, but you know, the, the Unitarians don't believe Jesus is God. So um, that anyway... Uh, they had um, a, a church service uh, that sort of copied uh, Protestant services. They had a pipe organ. They had stained glass windows. They read from the Bible, at least in those days in the 1940s. Um, and that was uh, um, my, my beginning of exposure to religion. We even had comparative religion in sixth grade. They... Uh, they took us to different churches, um, to a Jewish synagogue, to uh, what they call the Holy Roller Church, to a Catholic church. Oh, Holy Roller, far out! That's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They didn't. They didn't take us to ordinary Protestant churches. Um, probably it wouldn't be different enough. Um, uh-huh. I, and and I think I think we visited something in Chinatown. I don't remember. In what? Um, Oh, in Chinatown. Chinatown. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. Frank, your father's name was Frank, right? Yes. I remember him. And I remember his his second wife, Anne. Yes, correct. Right. Um, I call her my adoptive mother. She did not want to be a stepmother, so she adopted me and Edward. And... and, um, well, you know, the, the Edwards, uh, his tale that he tells, that he's been telling ever since I knew him, begins with the death of your mother. Uh, right. And uh, the trauma uh, uh, he experienced uh, when Frank, you know, just couldn't take care of you all put you in an orphanage and correct and then another equally or another devastating trauma when you were separated yes. uh but so That's, right it, it, yeah he he was in the nursery and i was in the um younger boy's house and uh we weren't allowed to uh, see each other um it, it was it was uh, very hard in that way. So, um, how was all that for you? Um, it was a different kind of trauma. Um, father uh, and I'm, uh, I'm sort of hesitating. Um, how 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 do I tell this this uh, just sort of briefly? 
father um, left me in the care of a man he didn't really know. Uh, I think it was someone from work. He wanted to um, talk with a an older woman who was a kind of therapist. Um, she became, uh, what would be the word, um, concerned when uh, I touched a beautiful Chinese vase in her house, and I, I was not allowed to stay there. Father left me uh, in the care of this um, man who's, uh, who had a friend who molested me, um, and then uh, they had to make up a story uh, to tell Father um, to discredit. Uh, I didn't know the vocabulary. I didn't know um molest or uh, any of those words um and so they told him i had uh, taken my clothes off and and paraded naked in front of them and uh, my father i think must have come from a cultural background where he trusted adults and not children it, it, he did not ask me for my side of the story <laughs> Mm. And we were driving away, mm. and he he was in this agony of, of humiliation, and he said, why did you do that? And I said, do what? And he told me, and I said, I didn't. And he was so angry that I had done it and denied it that he, he did this karate chop uh, from the driver's side of the car to, to me, and he got me in the side of the head. Um and it, it crippled me. Uh, I was. Um, it, it also caused the whole incident to to be um, to become what's called a hidden memory. I, uh, if you asked me for for the next forty years, if you asked me had I been molested, I, I would have said in all honesty, I have no memory of of, of it. Um, and uh, I was crippled because my body uh, pulled uh, pulled away from where I'd been hurt, and the muscles got locked um, in that tension. So uh, my my uh, spine was curved sideways. A, a chiropractor many years later showed me an X-ray. Um, so um, the memory came back. Um, after Father had died, after a year after Frank had died, I read uh, a box of my mother's letters uh, that she had written to her sister, my aunt. Uh, my cousin gave them to me, um, and when, one evening I started reading them. It took me two days, and uh, I they had... Um, Mostly things that uh, women would be concerned about, but they referred to people and places and events that I actually remembered, and the memory came back. I remembered, thought, why did I not tell my father? And that memory came back five years later. I was lying down, um, and I had uh, been going to this chiropractor who would find a, a knot in the muscles on my back or my belly, he'd press on it until it released. That went on for some months. And he got me um, uh, out of the 
um, of being bound up. I'm not sure what the mm. correct terminology is. Mm-hmm. But uh, then, then the memory came back. Uh, I was uh, rubbing the side of my face. And the memory came back that my father had hit me. It was terrifying. I felt fear flow through my whole body. And I I had to reason with myself. I said, um, my father will not hit me again because he is far away and because he is dead. And I felt relief flow Mm. through my whole and I thought at that time, how will I ever understand this? Well, I, I do understand it now. That's that's uh, almost 30 years ago. Mm. Um, mm. Um, for for 10 years, I couldn't talk about it without choking up. And I'm, mm. I'm telling you about it. Um, um, I don't know how it comes across, but... Um, I'm telling you um, sort of matter-of-factly. Yeah, it comes across very clear. Really? Yeah. Well, that was my trauma. Um, so uh, a, a hidden memory and uh, uh, also uh, a fascination with male sexuality that I didn't understand correctly. Mm. Um, which uh, and and uh, really, um, I've. Uh, I've been helped by by the Christianity because um, I do pray um, to Mary um, for help and to Jesus uh, uh, for help uh, with my uh, feelings and with my past. Um, And uh, it's, uh, I would say it's healed. Um, Mm -hmm. And some of of the, uh, the oppression is gone. Uh, and the the compulsion is gone. So, um, mm. actually, it's it's uh, technically it's it's deliverance. Uh, there were some um, spirits uh, that attached themselves to me that um, I've been freed from. So, that you've been what freed from? Oh yeah! Wow! Wow! Uh, and how do you know that? How did you perceive that and experience that? The compulsion was gone. Compulsive thoughts and compulsive behaviors. I see. I see. Now, this experience that you had, that you just described, is this before uh, uh, going to the orphanage or after or, or what? Um, I think it was on the way. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Um, I when I when I got there, um I went into the infirmary. That was the policy. Um I don't know if they did it with Edward. He was very young. They made an exception to take someone so young. Um but the, the normal policy was you were in the infirmary for three days to be sure you weren't sick before they put you in the house with the other boys. Um and uh, I had to have a normal temperature uh, three days in a row. I was there three weeks, mm. and they finally they just gave up. Um, my temperature would go up to ninety nine for heaven's sake, um, and uh, they they gave up and said, "Oh, well, they let me go in, into the house with the other boys." But when I first got there, I was crying. Um, 
what would be the word, um, just uncontrollably. And the uh, the nurse, who was an older woman, uh, very capable and, and I think kind, uh, she tried to com- comfort me. Uh, she thought I was crying because my mother had died. And uh, then I started crying again. And she uh, she came in and she said, you stop that. Um, and I stopped. And uh, that's, I think, why the the memory became hidden. I was never able to process it. And, and a six-year-old can't process something like that. Mm. Um, I'd mm. lost my mother and my father had betrayed me. Um, and it's, it's a, a very strange thing uh, to realize uh, that for the rest of his life, I was terrified of him. Um, mm. And he didn't know it, but... Um, Mm. There, there were some indications that there were there was a, a distance. Um, in in 1991, uh, I was standing on the corner of uh, Bush and Octavia Streets. Mm. Um, it's a block up from where I lived at Bush and Laguna. Uh, down the block was where Sokoji uh, used to be. Uh, in 1991, it had been torn down. Uh, it's and then it was rebuilt. It's it's now Kokoro, a Japanese old folks home. Uh, they they got the property from the city for one dollar from the redevelopment agency, and they had to rebuild it with the facade uh, as it was inside. It's not as it was at all. Mm. Um, anyway, uh, so in 1901, and then um, half a block up uh, Bush Street was the was where it was the back entrance to the office of the um, Red Cross where my father worked for 20 years. And I realized uh, with a shock um, that I had lived at Bush and Laguna from 1965 till 68. And my father had come to work a block and a half away. And I saw him four times a year. I, I used to go go visit um, their home in San Rafael, and um, that 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 shocked me. Mm. Um, and then, of course, uh, that was 1991. In '94 uh, was was when the memory came back, and I I understood what the um, what the uh, what's the word alienation uh, was mm-hmm. um, that I I hadn't hadn't understood. Um, wh- when did he die? Uh, he died in February of 1988. Uh, Judith and two of our sons and I were in China. Um, I taught English in Southwest China for that year. Um, uh, so uh, Anne was so broken up when Frank died that she didn't even write to me for 10 days. And then the letter took 10 days. So Three weeks later, I got a letter saying that my father had died. I went to the uh, office of the the college and I asked for a a day off. I I knew that in communist China, you could take one day to mourn and then it was back to work. Um, So uh, they they gave me uh, a day off from teaching. And what actually happened was my students came uh, in groups to call on me. So in reality, we had English practice all day long. 
Um, but I, I was touched. I thought that was mm. that was kind of them. Um, and uh, I read uh, the Office for the Dead in the uh, prayer book we were using. Um, we uh, and it um, it it calmed me. It it, uh, it took away the um, the grief. Um, uh, there's always some kind of grief. Now, some some years later, um, I was uh, where we used to live up near Lake Almanor. Um, uh, I went to a one uh, one half day parish retreat uh, that a friend of ours was leading. Uh, her name is Janice Carlton, and she uh, read from her book. She read from other books. She told stories, and then she wanted us to close our eyes that we were at a beach and there were two two uh, sort of lawn chairs or beach chairs there. One was for Jesus and one was for me. And I thought, I hate this kind of thing. It's manipulative. But I closed my eyes and for some reason, my beach was at nighttime. I know hmm. <laughs> what that means. But um, Jesus uh, spoke to me immediately and he said, I will take care of your father. And that amazed me. I did not know I was worried about my father. Uh, I knew he had died. Uh, some people get wondering whether their loved one is in heaven or in hell. Uh, that That's never been my experience. I have, have never worried. Uh, I trust God and his, his love. Uh, and so anyway, that was re- that was reassuring to me. I, I didn't even know I was worried about my father. <laughs> and, and Jesus reassured me, um, it's all right. Um, I will take care of him. So I, I, I know some things about my father's childhood and his youth. Um, uh, he had uh, his own trauma mm. uh, growing up. Uh, and uh, I think uh, one day we'll be able to uh, be friends. Mm. Uh, mm. Uh, so uh, you you and Ed went back to living with your father, Frank. Uh, af- I guess after he got together with after he married Anne, right? Um. I went home several months before Edward. Um, I went to uh, a house down the block uh, where she did daycare. I went there for lunch. Um, so, uh, but I, I was on my own um, for part of the day, um, and Edward was, I guess, too young for that. And I'm not sure exactly. It was around the time that Anne and Frank got married. Uh-huh. Um, uh huh. Yeah. How long were you in the orphanage? Three years, and it was um, it was the uh, it was called Sunny Hills in San Anselmo. It had formerly been the San Francisco Presbyterian Orphanage and Farm. Mm. Um, at the time we were there in the late forties. The custom was to put children in foster homes. And uh, Frank didn't know 
that Sunny Hills was for children who were too troubled to go into foster homes. Oh. So I, I was in a house with uh, tough kids. Um, and it, it was a very sudden, um, what do you call it, immersion <laughs> or something. Anne and, uh, no, not Anne, Francis and Frank, my, my mother and father, raised us, uh, they were deliberately permissive. Um, Frank had the theory that um, I would blossom if I were free to do what popped into my head, basically. Um, And so suddenly at Sunny Hills, there were rules and expectations. Mm. Um, Consequences, it it was uh, uh, very sudden. (laughs) Mm. And I I think looking back on it recently, uh, I realized um, God knows what he's doing. Uh, I asked him uh, in 2016, uh, I confronted him, uh, I said, why did you uh, chastise me so severely? Um, this, this, uh, the death of my mother being uh, crippled, um, uh, being estranged, um, and so on. And uh, I, I said, why did, why did you do that? And uh, he answered me immediately. Uh, he said, you are like a bonsai tree. Um, he knew that I liked Japanese things, and I understood immediately what he meant. Um, I was a work of art that he'd spent a lot of time on. Um, and I was misshapen as bonsai trees are, mm. uh, but but a, a work of art and, and something beautiful. Mm. And it was very comforting to me. Um, but more recently, um, I realized um, I needed a correction to that permissive upbringing. I, I would have been a self-centered disaster if I had grown up um, just doing what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think <laughs> so. Um, God's God. Uh, the Bible says uh, He chastises every son whom He receives. And what father is there who does not discipline his his son? So um, <laughs> that's that's where I am with uh, God the Father. When uh, when Judith and I went to uh, the five day silent retreat. Um, and uh, studied the Holy Trinity. I made a, uh, we made, we each made a consecration to the Holy Trinity, which basically meant um, we're going to take God seriously um, and pay attention um, and try to um, uh, behave uh, appropriately, that kind of thing. Um, and when I made my consecration, I got really choked up in the line about God's love for me. So um, I know I know God loves me. Um, and um, <laughs> uh, but he's not sentimental. He's serious. Um, so uh, you, you got back uh, with Frank and Anne when you were Nine and and 
how old, how, how much younger was that? Four years. So he was, so, he was like five when he got back. Yes. Um, so, um, so how did your life progress from there? I mean, between there, so I'm interested in what, you know, what brought you to, uh, uh, live, live near Sokoji and, uh, that, what was the trajectory? How was your life, uh, then in that period? I, I was lonely and unhappy. Um, all I, re- uh, I once I, I found a diary I had kept in one of those years. And uh, there were two pages that were interesting, and every other page said, I should have done this, I should have done that. I just burned it. I thought, this, what? this is oh. so oh. Um, And oh. we, um, in, in high school, uh, I, I realized, um, I realized also quite recently that um, I got affirmation in those years from teachers. Um, when uh, when Father came to take me to Sunny Hills, uh, he came to my second grade class, um, and uh, the teacher stepped out into the hall and kissed me uh, and uh, to say goodbye, and she said, my star pupil. And that's still there, mm. uh, that that kiss on my forehead is still there. Mm. Um, and when when I went to college in 1959, uh, I went to Reed College. Uh, oh, and, yeah. And it, right. Yeah. Well, I was there less than a year. I dropped out. But I had an instructor who mocked me at every class and ridiculed me. Um, and I didn't I didn't understand at the time that I couldn't handle that. Um mm-hmm. And uh, and I dropped out uh, to find the meaning of life, and it, it was uh, then I, the, the next year I uh, I went to San Francisco State, uh, which was uh, it felt like prison, um, mm. but it was during that time that I uh, I saw a wind bell at a friend's house, and I moved to uh, the city in 1964. Uh, to be near Zen Center, and I, I started sitting uh, morning and evening, um, and I, I never joined. I, I, I never uh, became uh, a Buddhist officially, but I was there for several years uh, doing the the meditation, and uh, my 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 understanding of it for for many years was that. Uh, the exposure to Japanese tradition um, uh, prepared me to approach Christianity because um, I saw that in an old religious tradition, there's a message that is being transmitted um, that is uh, the living, uh, uh, breathing message. And uh, so I, I approached Christianity uh, later, um, looking looking for for what it was, 
that the the tradition was was uh, meant to to pass on. I um, I turned to Christianity, uh, of course, because um, I couldn't sit a session. I, I I began to tremble, um, and uh, I I gave up. Uh, I thought I I have to leave. Um, mm-hmm. That's when I knew you. Um, you encouraged me to stay, as I recall. But <laughs> um, anyway, well, I would just. We, uh... Uh, I was, uh, I, you know, I'd only been, you know, I was, um, oh, I'd been in Zen Center about a year and, uh, I, uh, I still was a, uh, sort of like an overly enthusiastic new student. <laughs> uh, well, I was uh, a worn out, uh, three, three or four year student. Um, yeah. Anyway. Judith and I um, uh, were living together. Uh, when, and, when did uh, you when when did you meet Judith, and how, how did that come about? May seventh, nineteen sixty seven. Several of the Zen students uh, went on a picnic at China Beach, um, and I started talking with her, and we just fell for each other. Um, I, I used to say it was like glue. I, I couldn't leave her if I wanted to. Um, mm-hmm. And we're, we're, we're still together. It was, it's not the way you're supposed to do it. Uh, you're supposed to have a proper courtship and you're supposed to have some discernment of, oh, is this a good idea? It was it's not a good idea. Um, we had uh, difficulties for, for several years. Um, but neither of us left. That's that's looking bad. That, that's the amazing thing. Neither of us left. Fifty-six years ago. Yeah, um, and we've been married fifty-three. Wow. So, and who married yeah. you? Um, Katagiri Roshi. Oh, is that right? Uh, so we had a Buddhist wedding. Uh, May uh, no, no January third, nineteen sixty nine. Um, Suzuki Roshi was supposed to marry us, and he was ill. He he was either ill or said he was ill. Um, and, no, and he was of, ill. I remember he that that was a hard winter for him. Sixty nine. Uh-huh. Yeah, he did. Okay. He, yeah, that was very hard winter for him. But okay. go on. That's good to know. Um, Judith felt gypped. Um, she wasn't sure we were really married because the wrong priest had done it, and it took <laughs> it took her a long time to decide we we actually were. When we became uh, when we became Christian, um, we weren't sure what to do with our, our Buddhist wedding. When we became Catholic, uh, we learned we didn't have to do anything. Um, the the rule in the Catholic Church, and we we entered in 1989. Uh, the rule in the Catholic Church is if you're already married, and you both become Catholic, you have a Catholic marriage. You don't uh-huh. have to do anything uh-huh, uh-huh. to to fix it up. And uh, so we we have a valid sacramental Catholic marriage, um, uh, just just by taking that step of entering but um 
we we celebrated our 25th anniversary uh, in when was that? I have to do arithmetic in my head. 1789, 94. Uh, we we were Catholic, and um, I, I asked the priest. Uh, I said, normally people renew their their wedding vows, and we can't renew them. We never took any. And he said, I have a prayer that fixes everything. <laughs> and, uh, I thought lots of people would love a prayer that fixes everything. <laughs> I, I think what he uh, what he actually read was the prayers in the missal for a 50th anniversary because when we had our 50th anniversary, Father Avram, uh, our son, uh, said mass for us uh, here at the monastery. Um, and Wait a minute! What did you just to, say? Who did um, it? Uh, we uh, one of one of our sons is a Catholic priest. Oh. Um, his, Oh, I know, I know just what he looks like. I can see him right now. Right. Um, And we, we, uh, we went over to the monastery church at the hour when it's open to the public for sightseeing. So we weren't interfering with uh, the monk's prayer schedule. And he said uh, a wedding uh, anniversary mass for us. And when he read the the prayer for a fiftieth anniversary, I, I bet this is what um, the priest uh, twenty five years ago read because it's it, it sounded pretty familiar. It's really interesting. Now, um, when um, when I I remember uh, you you know from Zen Center. Now I remember like in sixty seven, not long after that. I, I don't know exactly. How long? You got involved with the Episcopalian Church, right? That is right. And um, a friend, tell us yeah. about that. Well, a friend, um, a friend of Judith's sister, whom uh, she had known uh, from uh, for uh, since her youth. Uh, the friend uh, in, invited us. To an Episcopal church for the Easter Vigil. Uh, it's the night before Easter, um, and it was St. John's Episcopal Church at, on 16th Street, uh, just south of Market. Um, and it was um, very impressive. Uh, the uh, choir, uh, the, they had a gifted choir director at the time who attracted a, a, a following, so the choir was bigger than the congregation. We, <laughs> processed, around, we processed around the outside of the church singing, and, and it, it was uh, glorious. Um, and it, um, and then um, at the time for communion, uh, we stayed in our pews. You're not supposed to go present yourself for communion if you're not even a Christian. And the priest um, just came to us and gave us communion where we were. Um, and he he held up the uh, consecrated uh, bread. He said, "The body of Christ." And I, I had a quick decision to make. I I, I could follow the rule um, and refuse Christ, or I could break the rule and take Christ. So I I took it. Um, and that that was our beginning. 
Um, mm. And I, uh, I went, I, I enrolled at the Graduate Theological Union in, in uh, 1969. Uh, my father had uh, taught me that um, the Unitarians make their own creed. He said each man makes his own creed. It, it was many years before inclusive language. Um, so he didn't know that uh, one day you couldn't say it that way. Um, but I thought I was supposed. To, <laughs> <All right. laughs> I thought I was supposed to figure out what I believed. Um, that's actually not what a creed is. A, a creed is um, something that was figured out centuries ago, um, and uh, you des- decide whether you agree with it or not. <laughs> but anyway, I went to uh, the, the Graduate Theological Union to learn about Christianity, to see if I believed it. To see if I wanted to become a Christian. Well, that's that's really the hard way. Um, no, <laughs> nobody does it that way. But mm. in um, in the in the spring of 1970, in uh, second semester Greek, we were reading the Gospel of Mark in the original Greek, um, and I fell in love with Jesus uh, when we read about stilling of the storm. His, uh, he's in the boat with his uh, disciples. They're out on the Sea of Galilee. And there's wind and waves and water uh, sloshing into the boat. Um, and they wake him up. And he, uh, he rebukes the wind and he rebukes the sea and is completely calm. And the disciples are terrified. They're, they're, they're not terrified by the wind and the sea. They're terrified by him making it calm. And I fell in love with this man across the language barrier and across the centuries. Um, and um, I decided I'll just go ahead and be baptized and I'll figure it out later. Huh. Um, and so I, I was baptized at Easter um well, actually, the night before Easter in 1970, um, I forget the date. Um, uh, and then I, I, I did um, gradually uh, realize things. Uh, I realized, oh, my behavior needs to change. Um, and I, I made it a, a practice to uh, read uh, morning and evening prayer, uh, where you uh, read some of the Psalms um, uh, twice a day. And I thought uh, the Psalms are 3,000 years old. They've been prayed for 3,000 years. Um, and if I read them, um, they will uh, inform me. I will start to understand um, where they are coming from. Mm-hmm. Um I've been I've been reading the Psalms now, uh, well, since about 1972. So, however many years that is, and that's the the monastery practice. Uh, the monks are in church seven times a day, um, and they're always uh, singing psalms at each of those times. Oh, uh, Judith and oh. Judith and I join them twice a day, morning and evening. Um, so their their motto is uh, in Latin "ora et labora," which means prayer and work. 
Um, but much of their prayer is um, the Psalms. Uh, they also do um, private reading. They read uh, scripture um, with the idea of listening for what God says to them personally. Mm. Um, there's there's two ways two ways to understand the Bible. One is what it um, historically uh, means. And it's, it's sort of public and shared meaning. And then there's a, a private and personal meaning where um, God can uh, quicken a word to you um, with, with some personal message. I, um, I've had uh, the, the personal messages that I've told you. <laughs> hmm. I, I, don't, I don't usually um, read the Bible in, in that way. I do read the Psalms uh, all the time. So. Hmm. Hmm. And did you did you become an Episcopalian priest? I did. Yeah. Um, I I was a very good student. Um, um, my my professors told me um, I should become a priest. Uh, one of them took me by the arm, and I can still feel where he was pinching my elbow. Um, and he said, uh, the faculty think you should be ordained. Um, it was not actually a good idea because um, doing well in seminary um, is not the same thing as doing well as a parish priest. Um, mm. what, what actually happened was um, I applied late. My classmates had all applied for ordination before they went to seminary. I applied after, and it meant that I couldn't be ordained for two years after I finished seminary. And um, what it what it caused was it looked like there was something wrong with me uh, or some problem. Um, and I did um, get a parish. Uh, so um, when when we. Uh, when we entered the Catholic Church, I, I was a priest for 14 years, from uh, 1975 till 1989. Um, and when when we entered the Catholic Church, I lost the priesthood, but there wasn't much left of it to lose, so <laughs> that actually made the decision easier. Uh, how so? Was there not much to lose? I, I wasn't working as a priest. I, I was not a parish priest. Oh, I I was I was attending church on Sundays and um, functioning as a priest sometimes. I see, I see. Uh, so it was a transition. Hmm. It was. Yeah. The um, when one of when one of the monks dies, um, they call the funeral service the transitus of a monk. So, yes, it was a transition. Mm. 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 Now, um, so uh, how was your uh, relationship with uh, Shunyu Suzuki? I... certainly respected him. I was not close to him. Uh, he 
I, 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 I think I was uneasy um, with, with when we had Dokusan, the uh, personal visit. Um, I didn't really know what to do or what to expect. Mm. Um, he was comfortable with me. Um, uh, as, as Edward uh, says in one of his books, um, you felt he was looking right through you and was not disturbed. <laughs> well, that's very well said. That's very well said. Yeah, people had problems with themselves and he was not disturbed. That's well said. Yeah. Um, so when uh, when I told him uh, I had to leave Tassahara in 1967, uh, he um, he embraced me. He said uh, he, he told me just take it easy, stay, don't worry. Um, and um, he said uh, I need you. Uh, later, I, I many years later, I found out he said that to Edward, and um, I'm. I uh, was not sure at the time what that meant, but I, I did decide um, I wasn't going to be able to to stay and I wasn't going to be able to do it. And uh-huh. um, it, it was, uh, looking back on it, it was uh, God's direction um, to uh, point me uh, in, in, a, in a different direction. Uh, different place or a different way mm-hmm. so it's, take, it's taken all these years to, to be to become a, a Christian mm. how, how was uh, what about what was your feeling about the uh, the, the the group uh, people there of course you your, your main experience your experience with uh, uh, the Zen Center was almost entirely before Tassahara when when things started getting more communal, you know. That's uh, right. So a lot of people didn't have much relationship with others, but some did, and there were some sort of cliques, I'd say. Uh, did you experience that? Um, I worked for Silas Holdley in his uh, warehouse. He used to import uh, hand-blown apothecary jars, um, I think from Okinawa. Um, People found the the discarded uh, blue and uh, brown and green uh, glass bottles um, and and, uh, melted them and and made uh, handmade. Uh, jars. So, um, huh. I had I had uh, I was comfortable with Silas. I worked for him. Um, I lived, um, and then uh, I was comfortable with Edward. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, no, I I wasn't wasn't particularly part of the community. I, I think that's true. Um, now. Uh Ed came, you know, Ed told me he's, he's going back to Ed, away from Edward. Oh. Uh, uh, <laughs> I loved it when he said, when he decided to, to use the full name Edward, he said, because he decided to go more Edward, like forward uh-huh. Edward. I thought that was oh. neat. Uh, but, okay. um, and he said so many people are used to calling him Ed and, 
he had some reason, but either one. Uh, uh, Ed and Alan Winter came to Sokoji, came there because of you, because you had been sending them koans uh, or stories, oh. maybe from Zin Flesh and Bones. Uh, I don't know what. Uh, right. And uh, they came in 60, did they come in 64 or 65? 65, I think. I think 65. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I, it seems to me we have a pretty complete picture of your path here. Uh, what, 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 what am I missing? What are we missing? Is there anything you'd like to add? Um, there should be. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, all of the, um, uh, what would you call it? All of the, um, I, I was, uh, I was thinking, uh, I, I, I spent the whole day today not thinking about what I was going to say. Um, but, uh, one thing I, uh, thought to say <laughs> was that I, I did not have a, a sudden conversion experience. I had um, several um, revelations. I, I fell in love with Jesus. God spoke to me a couple of times. Um, but I think I've told them all to you. Uh, so, uh, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, can't, I can't think of anything to add. It'll, it'll come to me later. <laughs> you sent me the book uh, because I guess because you've been in China, um, Christ the Living Tao, is that the name of it? I think so. I think when I was working on Crooked Cucumber, I read a book on, was it St. Antonio or Anthony, St. Anthony? Is is that his name? Is, is, well, he, is he the one who was... Uh, such a great uh, teacher and so understanding was said to have the gift of consolation. Anthony uh, was a follower of St. Francis, um, Anthony of Padua. Um, I think he's actually from Spain, but um, yes, he was a teacher. Yeah, I, you know, I really uh, appreciate it. And I had to get that from the Papist press. Hmm. Well, uh, tell me something. Why, why are, you know, I, I come from Texas and I didn't, in my home, I didn't experience a lot of prejudice at all. I mean, there's built in prejudice just coming from there, but, um, I didn't, ex you know, I would just very slight things. I could look back later and go, oh, yeah, that was anti-Semitic. And I guess you could call it or a sort of prejudice, you know, uh, uh, or, uh, and, and anti-Catholic and, uh, of, of course, prejudice against blacks. But my home was, and, and also my friends in high school, there was very, very little of any of that. But I would hear it from, elements of society that I considered to be more crude, but I didn't hear it a lot, but I learned it was there. And I never understood the anti-Catholic thing. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, 
the Protestant Church uh, just refutes the idea of the Trinity? Is that what it's about, or is it about the history of the Catholic Church, and what? I mean, it's... it it varies. The, there's um, many Protestant denominations. Uh, that's their their main characteristic is um, um, if uh, if there's a problem in the church. Um, half the people leave and start a new church. Um, so anyway, they, yeah. they, they some, some of them are pretty good uh, about being friends with Catholics. Some of them are um, very um, dismissive. Um, the the uh, and it it comes from Martin Luther, um, John Calvin, uh, for the Protestant Reformation of the fifth. 1800s, uh, when also the Church of England separated uh, from the Catholic Church, um, and the the idea was that the the Catholic Church had uh, corrupted and distorted true Christianity, and the the Protestant reformers were restoring it. Um, an extreme version of that I, I ran into um, some years ago. Um, the idea was that the the early church um, had been uh, eclipsed by the Catholic Church and reemerged uh, in the Protestant Reformation. So there were a thousand years of darkness. Um, uh, any, anyway, there, there are some people who, who have that kind of idea, um, and they um, think Catholics are not Christian. That, yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah. 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 I know. So I know it's so Catholic, weird. Catholics do regard themselves as Christian. The Protestants, um, some of them are more aware of um, theology than others, but the Protestants basically accept the Trinity: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They believe uh-huh. Jesus is um, one. Jesus is God Himself. Um, he's also uh, there, there's also the Father who does not have a human body. There's also the Holy Spirit um, who um, talks to us um, with, without uh, needing a body. Um, but it was the Unitarians that I was raised in uh, that specifically wanted it, understood they they did not accept the Trinity. So. Uh, uh. Suzuki, Suzuki, uh, did. Uh, he said, he said, uh, the Trinity comes up and it, it's sort of like he was saying, I don't remember what word, sort of like he was saying in the perennial philosophy and the, the great fundamental wisdom that Trinity keeps coming up over and over. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, I, I don't remember. I don't remember that, but that's good to know. Uh, and, you know, my experience, I, I was raised in a sort of uh, mind-only, uh, mind-is-God uh, uh, home, right? New Thought Christianity. So, um, uh, and uh, my father didn't appreciate any 
you know, the Catholic Church or the Protestant churches. Uh, he was a reader in the Christian Science Church and then moved on to other less um, organized, uh, more uh, – uh, I don't know. I just call it mind only. I don't know what to say. But um, uh, when when uh, I felt – so I felt very comfortable – and I, I liked Emerson and Thoreau, you know, and they were so, uh, they had, uh, they were Christians who had, were influenced by Buddhism and Hinduism. And, uh, you know, like when I started getting involved with Zen Center, uh, it, it seemed like maybe the Quakers were closer. Uh, uh, but, as I got more and more experience, um, it always turned out to be the Catholic uh, contemplatives that wow. I felt most comfortable with, and and that that uh, well, if if you look at you know like Thomas Merton and uh, uh, Brother David Stendelrass and uh, to my so uh, anyway, I just wanted to tell you that's my experience. Um, is, uh, yeah, is that uh, contemplative Catholicism has more, and, and, and Edward Kanze, the, the, you know, the great uh, Buddhist scholar, the Prajnaparamita, he said Mahayana Buddhism and Roman Catholicism are the two great universal religions. He said they both have a woman at the top, and they're not constrained, they don't have cultural restraints. Uh, they can move into any culture. Wow. That's impressive. Ah. Yeah. Hmm. There's a, there's a monk at the monastery here. He's a retired uh, abbot. Um, he's uh, 80-something or, or close to 90 years old. But uh, Thomas Merton was his teacher. Oh, goodness. Uh, yeah. So uh, he... Um, when when the the monks here came from uh, Gethsemane Abbey in Kentucky in 1955, uh, the abbot sent them, uh, and this man who, who's uh, whom I'm talking about, his name is Thomas Davis. Um, he didn't want to come to California, and he asked Thomas Merton if uh, Merton could uh, prevail on the abbot uh, not to send him, but uh, Merton uh, told. Thomas Davis, why don't you go just for the fun of it? So uh, he, he realized he was going to be no help. So <laughs> that's good. That's good. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, Dwight, I, I guess we have um, we've uh, come full circle and. Uh, I've really appreciated talking with you. And it's, um, yeah, oh, I just want to say one other thing. You know where I was living in San Rafael? There was that Eastern Orthodox Church right at, on Crane Canyon Road, right near where it comes into, oh, I don't know what that is, Santa Rosa Avenue or something down there. And okay. I used to go down there and, and talk to the, and I think that was about the time I was talking to you. Uh, and um, 
he was really into pseudo DNA. Just, but he did. Be- they were doing beautiful art. Uh, I don't know what you call. What do you call it? Frescoes or something? Um, in that church, really beautiful. Well, it is. It is a fresco, but it's a, it's iconography. Yeah. My wife Judith doesn't paint churches, but she does paint icons. Hmm. Anyway, it's been really good uh, talking with you. Uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe we'll see you around Christmas time. Great. Uh, if, I, if I, I always say, if I'm still alive, actually, I'm I'm in good health, but I'm I'm at the stage of life where I can't take things for granted. Right. Right. <laughs> Right. Well, you're about, what are you, about 83? Huh? 82 in a couple weeks. 82, yeah. Well, that's a good age. Uh, Yep. uh, I find, yeah, I personally, I'm 78. So far, it just gets better and better. That is uh, good. You know, uh, that's... uh, you know that that can change any minute. I have a cold right now, and it's very unusual for me to have a cold. Uh, but I don't really feel bad. I'm just a little weak. I'm not. I'm not doing yoga or walking much. Just a little bit, but I can work. I can sit and I, you know, get up and uh-huh. walk around a little bit. Uh, it's it. I don't hear it in your voice. Uh, right. <laughs> well. Okay, okay. Well, you give my love to Judith. And look, I You're haven't welcome. been back to America in ten years, but um, if uh, I uh, get uh, uh, if if I get back, I'd love to uh, visit your uh, your monastery there. That that it's got would- it, it. It looks like it's got a, a pretty vibrant uh, practice going on. Yeah, and that's. Uh, that's really cool. I'm I'm very impressed that you and Judith both have a relationship with it. That's good. Well, that's that's what makes makes us be able to say we're enjoying life now. Really, uh, Suzuki Roshi said the reason we practice is so we can enjoy our old age. Of course, he'd say other things, oh. <laughs> give oh, other reasons, <laughs> but. Um, that, that, that does seem to have come into play. Uh, <laughs> I went over to the winery this afternoon um, and bought. Um, the, oh, oh I, I don't know if I ex- should explain it. The, the monastery started growing grapes uh, twenty years ago, and mm-hmm. they make make wine. Um, anyway, the um, the manager of the uh, winery told the clerk who was uh, helping me to give me an employee discount. She said he's an employee. And, and I, I told her later, I said, I'm not an employee. I'm a volunteer. And she said, well, she said to give you a discount. It's your lucky day. So <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's yeah. great. So huh. I, I, it, it's a nice feeling to, mm. to be um, associated with that community. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, you take care and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very glad we've known each other, uh, 
56 years. Wow. That's great. <laughs> Thanks for talking to me. Yeah, Love well, you. thank you for talking to me. I think it's, it's really good. It's unique. I mean, tell you, it's really unique conversation. It's great. Uh, okay. Take care. Bye. Bye bye. So, uh, thanks a lot, Dwight Clark. Appreciate it. It was really good talking with you. Uh, and indeed, a unique path. Maybe, um, I made a note in my calendar in, in mid December to get a date with you to do a, a Christmas a podcast talk, or maybe do part of one. Might talk to him and Father Steve Frost, who I've done a podcast with. Um, just a thought there, huh? We'll see. So, until next time, this is D.C. Poobav. Cuke Audio and Cuke Archives, coming to you from Sleepy Sanur with Doggett Bandita and dear lovely Katrinka, and we're wishing you and yours and all of us a grand awakening. Mm-hmm.